Welcome to All Things Erie from Erie PA. This is Kathy and I'm your host for this week's episode. And as most of you know, last week I did not do an original episode. I had uploaded the Black Lives Matter podcast, which was done with 19 other podcasters from around the world. Now, the week before that, it was hashtag hashtag podcast blackout and while some did do episodes and some did not and I chose not to it was in solidarity for showing justice for black lives for those that have been brutalized with police brutality and with that I'm going to leave it right there when I started my podcast I said I would not do or go into political issues and as I have seen folks being ripped to shreds over comments. I'm not here for political debates. I'm here to get cases heard for this particular podcast. Me personally, I'm gonna save my political debates for the holidays, like most folks do. There will be nothing that I can ever say that would ever compare to what those in the minority communities have ever gone through. I'm a white female. Where I grew up, there were no black families, and I never understood why. My parents sheltered us as kids as to why. And when I later found out, it was a very sad reason. There was a lot of hate behind it. And I must emphasize, not from our parents. Our parents didn't want us to be exposed to the hate. But it didn't make a difference once we hit high school. The ugliness was there. What I can do is even a small part, and if it changes one person, that can make a difference. But to step off that soapbox, we're going to take this week's episode to Cleveland, Ohio, and we'll be talking about the Facebook killer. Now, why Cleveland, you may ask? Well, yes, Cleveland does share Lake Erie, and yes, we have done cases from the Cleveland area before. However, this one does have a bit of a twist with it, and when I say twist, I mean how the murder happened and how it was solved. So let's dive in. How long do you spend on social media sites? A couple hours per day, per week, or month? I'm sure, like me, you get a pop-up at the beginning of each week that tells you if your screen screen time has been up or down the week prior and the average time you spend on your phone. And which of those sites do you go on the most? Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, YouTube, TikTok, and that's just to name a couple of a few of the couple of hundred apps that are available for people to go on and talk to their friends without actually being around. And TikTok itself, that's a whole other separate issue. If your littler ones are on TikTok, erase that app because there have been a lot of sexual predators on that one. If you're an adult, that's one thing. Younger children, pitch that one. There have been studies done about kids and adults that post only good things that happen in their life. Or or should I say that show those who show a quote-unquote perfect life, when in reality they don't. According to an article in ScienceDirect.com by Vikanda Ponsakovanik, in a study that examined the difference between high self-monitoring people and low self-monitoring people, and what they found 
basically in a nutshell, was that those who were, were high self-monitoring were more likely to have an addiction to Facebook than those who were considered low self-monitoring. Basically, the more friends and activities you have, the more you spend on Facebook, which would be a given in any activity or group that someone belongs to. Kind of like how many school activities that somebody has, parents that are PTA members, you know, active moms and active dads that are in groups. The more that you belong to, the more you do. As an example, myself included, I would just spend my early morning on Facebook checking to see what my friends had posted and just pop in and say, hi, how's it going? But since I started my podcast, I have made a bigger imprint on social media. Trust me, nothing huge by any means, but I'm on the other social media sites way more often than I was before. I actually had to redo my Twitter page because it was shut down because I hadn't used it in so long when I first started my podcast. And we all know people who have this side hustle going on to make extra money. Hey, at one point I did also. I wanted to make extra income, but what I found was I was my best customer. But if you can, support that friend or relative because they are trying to make a living. And there are some good products out there. We also know someone who puts everything on social media. But you know what? At least they're keeping it real. Would I do that? No, but at the same point, they're showing that life isn't always perfect. But what we have come across on social media is that it has made you, but what have you come across on social media that has made you defriend someone almost instantly? For me, it's seeing images of animals being abused or children. I just personally can't handle it and I won't put it on my page to have it there. You know, some people say, if you don't like it, scroll past, but I will put it on my page saying that it's something that I choose not to see, but that's another story. What if you saw one of your relatives being killed on social media? How would you handle it? That's exactly what happened to the family of 74-year-old Robert Godwin Sr. of Cleveland, Ohio. On Easter Sunday, April 16, 2017, that morning, Robert Godwin had stopped to see his children, and the last thing they were able to say to their father was, see you later. In a Rolling Stones article by Daniel Kreps, it started with three videos that were uploaded. The first one uploaded at 11.09 a.m. claimed he was going to go murder someone. The second video, posted only a few hours later, which would identify the person only as Stevens, is showing him pulling alongside someone walking down the sidewalk where there was an elderly man walking. The man with the phone had the elderly man repeat the name Joy Lane. And that is when Stevens, who was later identified as Steve Stevens, pulled out his gun and fired at the elderly man, who would then fall to the sidewalk. Then came the third video, which he said had gone, he had gone on a shooting spree, which Stevens claimed up to 15 victims in an Easter day slaughter. Stevens would try to explain his motives for the killing, saying, I'm at the point where I snapped. In that third video, Stevens 
posted, Stevens posted on Facebook, he had identified himself as Steve Stevens and even had an identification card from Beachbrook, which is a behavioral health agency, which was where Stevens worked since 2008. But where did the violence come from? Why now? According to the video, Stevens blamed his sudden behavior on his mother and his ex-girlfriend, who would later be identified as Joy Lane. Hence why Stevens would have the elderly male repeat Joy Lane several times, just to have his anger stoked because in reality, he would not have been able to shoot the man otherwise. So who is this Steve Stevens? Stevens and his girlfriend had been together for three years, according to Stevens. Quote, we were supposed to get married, but there was some bullshit that I couldn't deal with anymore. She's the reason why I'm making this video. She's the reason what's about to happen today, because she drove me crazy. End quote. This was according to the second video. Quote, I'm out of options. Now I'm on some, quote, murder type shit, end quote. Another comment from Stevens on Facebook was, quote, FB, you have four minutes to tell me why I shouldn't be on death row. Quote, I'm dead serious, end quote. But according to various articles, it was a combination of Stevens' mother, girlfriend, gambling debts, and his job, which was which this combination would make any person go crazy. But to snap and go kill a random person? Which one would have triggered Stevens to go murder someone or the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back? As this was going on, Joy Lane went on to text CBS News, quote, we had been in a relationship for several years. I am sorry that all of this happened. My heart and prayers goes out to the family members of the victims, quote, in quotation marks, because they didn't know at this point. Steve really is a nice guy. He's generous with everyone he knows. He was kind and loving to me and my children. This is a very difficult time for me and my family. Please respect our privacy at this time. End quote. Two hours or 120 minutes. Keep those numbers in, in, in your mind. That's how long it took for Facebook to be to take that video of the murder of Mr. Godwin down from Facebook and to deactivate Stevens' account. So think about that time frame in that amount of time, two hours and or 120 minutes, that video of your family member is floating around Facebook and being shared and shared and shared and shared around the country, around the world, and is going over and over and over again of your father, your uncle, your grandfather being murdered. And although it was reported as being broadcast as a as live on Facebook, a representative did come out and say that by sun, late Sunday that evening, the video was not being streamed live, but had been recorded and uploaded onto, onto the Facebook site. But even with a plea from Mr. Godwin's own family, that could not stop the video from being shared. According to that same Rolling Stone article, some of those that knew Stevens had a different view about him. Those that worked with him were quoted as saying, 
Now, they shared the original view. They were shocked and horrified to learn about the situation involving the threats by Steve Stevens and the tragic shooting of Mr. Godwin. Now, that is a partial quote. But when the interviewer spoke to a neighbor, this neighbor didn't have as nice of things to say about Mr. Stevens. And according to the neighbor whose name was Mr. Henderson, he was quoted as saying, how can I put this? That kid was not normal as we normal know it from the beginning. He was in his early teens when the family moved there, and I was in my late 20s. But I could see something wasn't right. He was smart, but some days he seemed okay with talking to people on the street, but on other days he was staring off into space with a blank face. He was very up and down. End quote. Henderson also claimed that Stevens tortured his pets but there were no police reports or others who claimed these allegations and Stevens had no criminal record. And now keep this in mind, that's never unusual. Now, after the shooting of Mr. Godwin, Stevens went silent on social media and there, and a bolo, which is be on the lookout was put out for Stevens and his vehicle, which was a white Ford fusion and an offer of $50,000 was offered by the FBI and the ATF for information leading to the arrest of Stevens. Now, the police knew Stevens would be armed, but had no idea as to where he would have gone. There had been sightings of Stevens coming from all over, Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York, Indiana, even Michigan, which were all plausible places that Stevens could have gone, but where did he actually go? Now, this is when it takes us to Erie, Pennsylvania. Stevens did not lose his phone. He did not try to cover his tracks. So obviously, he was not really thinking how to plan out this murder. According to a New York Times article by Richard Perez Pena, a McDonald's employee on Buffalo Road around 11 a.m. was taking food orders, which seemed like any other day, until a driver in a white Ford Fusion drove through the line. Stevens had ordered chicken McNuggets and large fries when the employee recognized who the driver of the car was. The employee notified his manager, who then had the employee ask Stevens to pull forward to wait because his fries not being done. I mean, who hasn't been asked to do this? But I don't think any of y'all have been also looking over your shoulder waiting for the police to come and get you either. I mean, eh. But Stevens didn't want to wait. He just took his McNuggets and drove off. Not like a man on the run, but just like anyone else who didn't feel like waiting a long time for his fries. But it didn't take long for the Pennsylvania State Police and the police from the borough of Wesleyville to catch up with Stevens. The chase lasted for about a mile on Buffalo Road. And one of the state troopers performed what is called a pit maneuver that, when done, forces a suspect to lose control of their car. And usually what's happened is the patrolman will come up and they will bump the back of the car and forces that other car into a spin and it forces that car off the road. Now, before the police, state police, could get to the car and apprehend Stevens, he shot himself in the head, taking his own life, which not this did not allow the Godwin family to have any justice 
for their family through the legal system the way it is meant to be. Yes, Stevens is gone and will not harm anyone again, but how does this start the healing process for them? Maybe with Joy Lane, the very person that Stevens himself really wanted to harm, but for whatever reason could not, but decided to go out on the, onto the streets of Cleveland and pick a random stranger and kill, but had to get that person to say Joy's name before he could pull the trigger. Was this really to inflict pain on joy like Stevens intended or was this just a build-up to see if he could actually kill someone and then take out his intended target being joy all along this is something that we'll never know however joy lane was moved during the search for Stevens to a secure location even during this it didn't stop the media from trying to contact miss lane According to an article from the Washington Post, just a few hours after Stevens had committed suicide, there were TV crews at her home and aiming their cam cameras at her front door. And Joy had absolutely nothing to do with the death of Mr. Godwin. Those, but those that took to social media were very harsh to criticize Miss Lane. One person suggested, moral, don't date Joy Lane. Next one, Joy Lane deserves to feel horrible. Next one, he, f he killed because of a fat bitch. These were just some of the samples that were used in the article. There was another reference. It was called Joy Lane Massacre. This was from an Essence article. Now remember, to Joy Lane, the last time she saw Stevens, she thought everything was fine. She didn't see anything wrong with the relationship that they had going. Yes, they had broken up, but they had remained friends, according to Joy Lane. And according to a video interview with Inside Edition, Joy had believed that, quote, the gambling issue was behind everything. So she knew that he was having issues, and this is what I'm getting from that quote, not from the interview. She knew he was having some issues, but she didn't see anything that was going to cause a stressor. When asked if Joy still loved Stevens, she said she did. Now, whether she still cared for him in the same way, or if at the time things still had not sunk in, how do you picture someone that you have cared for for years killing someone? After repeating your name, because they said that because of you, they've snapped. I mean, that takes a lot of, you know, wrapping that around, wrapping your head around that. I don't think, I don't know how I would process that. I mean, I, I, I would be in therapy for a very long time. Now, Stevens also left Joy a voicemail two days before the murder. Quote, I'm motivated to just strive to be the best in life now, end quote. Quote, I'm really motivated, end quote. Again, this was in the interview, video interview with Inside Edition. But according to an article from the New York Times, Stephen's gambling problem was the reason he was struggling with his bills and he had been evicted from his apartment and 
Joy said in this article that he had been staying at her place, so she was aware of his eviction. Then, and even more and even more bizarre was another interview with the Atlantic Black Star where Joyce, Joyce said that Stevens had told her that, quote, he had quit his job and was leaving Ohio. So she's doing all of these interviews and she's giving all of these little tidbits of he quit his job, he had a massive gambling issue, and he was evicted from his apartment. And telling or letting people listen to the last, at least to their knowledge, the last voicemail that he has left. And then saying that he had quit his job and he was leaving Ohio. So didn't, did she really know that something was going to go on, but wasn't going to say anything? Kind of like the case with the cheerleader who egged on her boyfriend to commit suicide and they had the text messages to prove it. I don't know. But here's where there becomes a tangle in this process because of how much did she really know? I mean, I would think there would be, would have been fighting. She was the one that would have been supporting herself, her family, and then him because of his gambling problem. I mean, he had a good job. He just had a problem that need, that was getting out of control. And just like any addiction, until you hit rock bottom, you don't see the problem like other people. You have to lose everything to be able to gain the sight to see what you lost. But in the end, that was too much for Stevens. And unfortunately, he took someone's life with him. Joy Lane and the Godwin family did meet. And the Godwin family chose to forgive Stevens for what happened. But that was not the end between the Godwin family and Joy Lane. According to a Fox 8 article from Cleveland, Lane was asked to turn over several items, all computers, cell phones, tablets, and other electronic devices that Stevens had used, including all written communications between Lane and Stevens, including their private Facebook messages. Now, Joy Lane had been sent a subpoena in, in that March of that year and then had to be sent a second one in April with an attachment to comply. My question is, why the hesitation? This was her response. The death of Mr. Godwin is a tragedy, end quote. Quote, however, the harassment by the Godwin's attorneys who are trying to sue Facebook to the family and friends of Steve Stevenson, Stevens is unwarranted. They are also grieving and traumatized. They have lost jobs, have had their homes broken into, and have received over a thousand death threats from around the world. End quote. But that had nothing to do with the subpoena. It answered nothing, nor with the litigation that was to go on in the courtroom. It was a stall tactic. That tells me there was something in those communications that she didn't want them to see. But then how does this all tie in with Facebook? The lawsuit the Godwins 
attorney used was that there was a, quote, relationship between Facebook and Stevens. And because of that, quote, relationship, Facebook had a responsibility to all those who use Facebook. And since those who use Facebook have to sign waivers and you provide various forms of identification, Facebook came back with a hard no. Even with all of our efforts in place, we still wouldn't have been able to help Mr. Godwin. Mr. Godwin's family then said, well, you could have at least come out with a warning saying that this person was out there. Then Facebook said, either way, you have no control over us. We are in California. You're in Ohio. Because this was a state case, not federal. Either way, the Godwin family lost against Facebook. There there was still a case against the Stevens estate. This case didn't go into that. And I couldn't find any more on it. The Facebook killer as Steve Stevens will later be dubbed, would just be a long line of murders, rapes, and suicides uploaded or recorded live on Facebook. Another was a 15-year-old girl being gang-raped in Chicago on Facebook Live, and no one called the police. That video has been removed. The next one was of four people that, quote, allegedly tied up, beat, and tortured a special needs student while Facebook Live people watched. In the popularity of this tool, it definitely has its uses and can be very harmful. Now, if you should come across a crime or a dangerous activity, this is what you should do via the information through Facebook. Call 911. Look for descriptive details. Look into the background. Don't just watch what's going on. Report it to Facebook. If possible, record the video with your phone and don't share the video. Don't contact the person sharing the video if they are the ones committing the crime. Now, what if someone is not committing a crime but is doing something else that's concerning? Obviously, you're going to you're going to report it to Facebook. Because it might not warrant a response from the police, but it still should be addressed. Facebook has also worked to better their standards to prevent suicides on Facebook Live. If a video has been flagged, Facebook is able to send them a message to the user that directs them to National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. There are other support organizations. Or for those that are younger, tell a family member if you're unsure. Now, those points all came from a news article. I do believe it was a New York New York Times article. I will go in and and make sure. But it, those were all points that came from a news article. A lot of it's common sense. If you see a, a crime being committed, you call nine one one. If it's being committed on Facebook and you see it's being reported, uh, being done on Facebook Live, you're doing both. Try to. You don't go to where that person is, especially if it's a violent crime. There's nothing that you can do unless you are a police officer. And I know right now police are under a lot of scrutiny, but you personally cannot help that person. You cannot break laws because you will also 
be arrested and or sued. That's just the way the laws work. I cannot emphasize enough, and I've said this in my podcast before, when it comes to child abuse, animal abuse, any type of domestic abuse, if you see something, for the love of God, say something. It is not okay to share a video, to watch a video if somebody is being abused. If you know who these people are, say something, turn them in. Because if they are abusing somebody who has special needs, if it is a small child, if it is an animal, these people are the ones who are to be protected. These people who do the abusing will not stop until somebody says something. It is just the way it is. And they do not care. They don't. They think it's funny. They get a laugh out of it. And they will continue. And they are bold. And when they get in groups, they are even bolder. They are like a pack of wolves. Like I said, if you see something, you say something. Because if you don't, you're just as complicit as them. Now, I'm going to step off my soapbox against that. That was my podcast for today. And I hope you enjoyed it. I know it's a bit different. And if you'd like to leave a question or a comment, please feel free to go to my Facebook page at All Things Erie from Erie PA or my Instagram or Twitter account at K-A-T-H-Y-B-R-D-L-Y. That's Kathy with B-R-D-L-Y. And if you're listening to this for the first time and enjoyed it, please go back and download the other 36 episodes. I'm on iTunes, podbean.com, Facebook, and Instagram, Twitter. Um, But the iTunes, Podbean, and Facebook is at All Things Erie from Erie PA. And that's Erie with three E's. And all of the source information will be available on my Facebook page. I will be uploading pictures to go along with the announcement of the upload on Instagram and Twitter. And as we can see and feel, summer is here. And with summer comes fun in the water with the little ones. Please make sure that they have plenty of sunscreen sunscreen on and that they have their floaties or safety swimwear on. It only takes a second for them to flip over and they cannot right themselves. And taking a break is important, not only for them, but for you as well. Also, when you walk away from the water, make sure that they are walking away with you as well. And if they're making sure your gate is locked and that the little ones cannot get to the water. I am not saying this to preach, but because a friend has lost their two-year-old just a couple days ago to a drowning accident. Heaven did gain an angel. And that's something no parent should have to go through. So stay safe, stay healthy. This is Kathy, signing off.